0: Welcome to Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Maya. And I'm Olivia. Today, we are delighted to be joined by
1: Eli Saslow, an American journalist for the Washington Post. In 2014, he won the Pulitzer Prize for explanatory reporting, and he is a recipient of the George Polk Award and a James Beard Award, among many other honors. He's the author of Rising Out of Hatred, The Awakening of a Former White Nationalist, and 10 Letters, The Stories Americans Tell Their President. His work looks at the impact of major national issues, including poverty, racism, and school shootings on families and individuals. In his talk at CMC's Athenaeum, he discusses his most recent book, Rising Out of
0: Hatred, The Awakening of a Former White Nationalist. So, um, welcome, Eli. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our first uh, question oh, is, <laughs> what originally sparked your interest in journalism?
2: Oh, I mean, I think um, I always liked to write, uh, even even as a kid. My, my dad is a middle school English teacher, so... Um, i don't know i just was always always enjoyed writing and and i think once i figured out that journalism really is like a passport to go and talk to people about um anything you're curious about like you you sort of get to go up to the experts in that thing and ask some questions and have these really interesting, engaging conversations. I mean, the, the best part of my job always is the days that I'm reporting. And when I'm talking to, I'm out talking to people and learning about the world or or now in the way I do my job, sort of going and almost like embedding into people's lives as they're as they're dealing with, with sort of the big issues of the day. Um, and, and I get to be there and I get to see that play out and I get to sort of see people and, um, you know, these these like uh, really revealing moments that that make me understand the country better and sometimes even they make me understand my own life or myself better so that's just a colossal gift and, and as soon as I realized I could I could use this job to do that I, I think I knew that it was what I wanted to do
1: yeah that's awesome and I think on that note um, obviously a lot of your stories go become very intimate and I think that's you know the best example is your most recent book and how do you stay how do you remain in your outsider perspective and also I think just emotionally and mentally stay kind of in this stable realm while getting really intimate in these sometimes tragic and dark stories
2: yeah it's a great question I mean mostly because it's also like I don't uh I don't mentally like I I don't want to stay outside the realm because if if I like what I'm doing ultimately is I'm writing stories that I hope will make people feel something I mean that's that's really like if you boil down the work that's the thing I want to make people feel something and 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 that maybe by making them feel something it will change the way they think about the world in some small way um but in order to make these readers feel something. Like I better feel something myself, right? Like if I if I don't if I don't feel something myself, I don't have a prayer of making somebody who's never been in the room with the person, met the person, talked to the person, feel something about them. So I think um, I guess I try not to be guarded, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, the other thing that I do in terms of like just you know. Um, I always remind myself that that for me these are stories, and and after I do every one, after I finish a book, even if it's a hard book or a story, if it's a hard story, um, I come back to like my own happy, privileged life, and and um, where you know I, I'm I'm not a victim of, of of a you know white nationalist terror attack or or a school shooting, or you know I'm not struggling with opioid addiction, whatever whatever the issues are that I'm writing about, and and I I kind of try to remind myself that like for me the story finishes in or the book finishes and it ends but for the people that i'm writing about these issues don't just go away like all of the all of the real uh, trauma all of the real fatigue um, all of the real hardship is always on them um, and and i guess the the other thing that i think about is the fact that uh, for me like doing these stories or, or in, and writing about things that that matter, um, or that I feel like matter, that gives me way much, way more than it ever takes out of me. Like I, I like yes, it's exhausting. Um, yes, sometimes I can finish and feel just like sort of wrung out. But doing this work also is like the thing that gives this professional part of my life purpose and value, and and um, it's when I feel most alive. in the job is when I'm writing about things that are that feel. Um, real and so like i guess i kind of remind myself that those are the the moments that are kind of taxing or exhausting um those are the moments that i work to be in because that's also when the work can potentially be memorable And so yeah just trying to keep it in perspective that way i guess
0: So kind of going off of what you just said, um, as America is sort of in this moment, uh, like this national reckoning, where we are talking about issues like white nationalism, what do you hope your voice will contribute to this national conversation?
2: Information, first of all. I mean, you know, I I guess like in some ways, From the very beginning i thought about this book in two ways like one i wanted it to kind of be like the sounding of an alarm like like that these white nationalist ideas um which have always uh had like a prominent space in america were becoming increasingly prevalent in our political spaces and and in like mainstream like factions of our country and so i I wanted to sort of sound that alarm a little bit and make people aware of it and but i also wanted hopefully to give them some amount of hope that we can do something about it. Um, and, and I think the story of, of what happened on that new college campus and and the story of confronting and, and ultimately transforming somebody like Derek Black um, does show that when we we uh, sort of are able to be the best of ourselves, um, these like huge results are possible. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I didn't want, if I just written a book about um, like how awful white nationalism is uh, and, and how much trouble we're in in our country in this moment. Um, that's a book that probably not for many people would have wanted to read and also would have just left people feeling hugely depressed and sad. So I, I wanted to take that sounding of the alarm and hopefully like uh, activate it in some way and and, and um, show that there's, there's value in doing anti-racist work and, and there are ways that it can have an effect.
1: Yeah. Um... Just that idea of like spreading information is really interesting. And I know in your talk at the Athenaeum, you know, you were asked who you want your audience to be and you said everyone. And I think that's very powerful, but at the same time, how do we get people to read books like yours and read stories like yours if it doesn't already speak to them? And, you know, I think how do we spread this message we're seeing in recent times, as Maya said, this national reckoning, how do we really get people to pay attention?
2: Yeah, it's uh, like, it's a question I think about so much. I mean, hopefully podcasts like yours, uh, but, but, you know, the truth is like, I think one of the big problems that we are facing right now in the country is, is, is that we're, we're more sort of divided, uh, in so many ways than ever before, like we're siloed in our own experiences of the world. Like we we get we get our news um, through like you know our, our own cultivated groups, whether it's it's the people that we follow on Twitter or Facebook or but like Instagram, whatever whatever it might be. Like we curate our own news feeds, and what that means is that we surround ourselves with confirming ideas, ideas that that for the most part like uh, confirm how we think about the world, and not ideas that are challenging, and and often not ideas that are like reported. And, and held up to the light. So uh, I think that's why we see like a rise in conspiracy ideology. It's, it's uh, you know, it, it's why we're having a lot of the polarization problems that we're having right now. So, you know, one, one of the solutions I think is like... Um, you know, of course, I say this as a journalist, but we have we have a lot of news deserts right now in the country. Local news is disappearing. Like there's, uh, there newspapers at the local level are disappearing. The websites for those newspapers are not doing enough traffic to keep them in business. Um, so you have like vast parts of the country now where there's no reported news. There's no there's nobody reporting it for fact. So um, it allows these conspir- conspiratorial ideas or even just you know non non factual ideas to Spread um, because there's nothing pushing back against that. Uh, so I think that's one that's one thing that we can do is like invest in um, as a country and sort of more real reporting. Uh, but you know, I think like the other thing that we can all do personally is work to make sure we're not existing within a bubble of confirming ideas, and, and that means like things as basic as um, reading things you would normally read, seeking out like factual information, um, doing your own research in some cases, uh, and even things as basic as like trying to form relationships with people, or bump, get outside of like the very cloistered world that I think we, we all um, increasingly live in.
0: So as a journalist, you get to be on the ground, you get to meet people, you get to talk to them, these people who are involved with different kinds of tragedies. From that sort of close-up perspective, is there has there been any sort of surprising takeaways that you've encountered? Um, is there anything that you you get to see in your interactions with these people that the public doesn't necessarily get to see?
2: Yes. Uh, what a nice question. I mean, I think the biggest thing. You know, so this this year, uh, I've been working on a uh, book of. Um, Basically, like as told to stories about uh, COVID, and and you know writing about um, people's people's like a wide range of pieces about people's experience uh, over this last year. Um, And I guess one of the things that always is amazing to me is that like um, you know in, in a year that for me has been marked by. Like like a lot of us, like uh, a lot of frustration. The world is not how we want it to be. That's been made worse by I think like a lot of systemic and political failure um, in this country. These like these conversations, like the reporting that I get to do about this wide range of people, uh, even though the topic is sometimes very depressing and the things that that are happening to them are very depressing. Like their, you know, their courage, um, their like ability to trust and their desire to be seen is uh it's like restorative i mean they're, they're people across like that's the thing is that that people want to form connections with each other and even people who initially when i call them and i say hey i'm a reporter from the washington post their preconceived notions of what that means or what that says about who i am they might be like Screw you, I don't want to talk to the Washington Post. But if I can keep them on the phone and I can become a person to them and, and I, I can be an empathetic listener and I can ask them about the things that are hurting them and the things that they're feeling, you can build trust with people so quickly. And and then by 30 minutes into that call, or you know, absolutely by the third or fourth phone call, they might think like, Well, I don't know about the Washington Post, but I really like talking to you. Like you're, you know, it's and I think like that to me gives me a lot of hope like th- that there are um, the ability to connect person to person across all ranges. And and that's my job really is, is, you know, one week I might be, you know, um, being like, following somebody as they're being deported to the line fields of Mexico. And, and the next week I might be writing about like, uh, you know, a used car salesman running for like a conservative, uh, position in Ohio. Like I, and in both of those cases, I know that if I'm myself, if I'm genuine, if I'm genuinely curious, if I'm, I'm genuinely interested, um, then I can build trust and I can build relationships with those people. And that, that I think, um, is a, is a constant reminder of our common humanity that that always keeps me hopeful that, um, that we can get past some of the problems that we have.
1: And on the note of COVID-19, um, obviously in recent years, I think there's been a change in how the country sees journalism and trusts journalism, but at the same time, with this sense of isolation through the pandemic, it's almost become really even more important to have journalism as our outlet of information and people are checking the news even more and so how has that juxtaposed role of the media been for you and how has your uh, work as a journalist changed or shifted through the pandemic?
2: Yeah it's a great question I mean my my work has shifted a lot although like I I think like one of the things that, and this isn't just this year, this is like a trend from the last probably 10 years that, that accelerates is that our news cycle has gotten so fast, right? Like we all, we want, we want updates every second, like the information changes really quickly. And so as a journalist, like a story that used to be something that I was working on for the next month is now for like, next week and and a story that used to be for the next week is now like we need it tomorrow and a story that was for tomorrow is like why isn't it online already like what's going on get it up now so that's um you know i think one of the issues with that appetite which i have myself as a as like a news consumer i want information instantaneously um is that real vigorous reporting takes time and there's no there's no shortcut for that time so i guess one of the things that i always try to remind myself of is like, rather than just um, having something that's out there first, I would like the thing that I write to be lasting and, and to be right and to, um, to, to, for me to know once I let it out in the world that it's, it's something that I'm gonna be proud of and gonna be able to stand by you know, two days from then and also like two years from then. So, you know, I think um, sometimes our own like impetus to be first in some ways, um, like becomes a, a way in which we sacrifice quality. So I'm sure that happens to me because I also feel pressure to produce more quickly. But I guess I always kind of try to remind myself to slow down because um, in the end, what matters is is like having, having an account of something, writing about something uh, in a way that makes people understand it differently. Not in a way that makes people understand it first so you know that that's something that i try to do
0: so speaking about uh putting out work which is lasting what do you hope the legacy of your journalism and your uh books will be
2: wow that's such a big question uh and and one that maybe i should think about more but since i'm still just in my 30s it's too scary to think about legacy uh i i guess like the truth is I hope that it's like a, um, a legacy of, of empathy and and uh, and, and listening, um, you know, and, and coming to people not from a place of judgment, but when possible from a place of, of understanding, and and from um, coming to people and trying to understand their experience of the world, so that other people uh, who are reading it will also be able to understand that experience of the world. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of journalism now, um, and frankly, just like a lot of our world now is like it's very we're good at telling other people what we think um and and uh for me i i would like my own journalism to uh be showing the world to people like revealing the world to people as it is so that they then can draw their own conclusions from it and of course like the way that i'm reporting the way that i'm writing um you know the things that i'm writing about that is all meant to inform those conclusions but to me like i when i when i read something i'm being told to believe something, um, that is much less powerful than if I, if I read something that feels like I'm, I'm seeing this, this like future air of the white nationalist movement have this, this like insane, uh, transformation and I, I feel like I'm seeing it for myself like I'm I'm reading the G chats that these students were sending to him at school I'm I'm like immersed in this experience and you know It feels like I'm witnessing something then hopefully the conclusions that people draw from that They feel like their own conclusions and and I think we we hold on to those conclusions for much longer They're they're much more meaningful to us. So I guess uh, I hope that that's that's part of the legacy, too
1: It's so interesting that you mentioned you know you haven't really thought about your legacy yet and you are still so young in your field and I am curious how your perspective as a young journalist touching on these really sensitive issues has made you different or has made you feel as though you have a different approach I think talking about empathy um and listening and showing the world to people is pretty different um and so how you know your Age um, plays a role in that, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think it 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 certainly informs like how I see the world, and then and then that informs the stories that I choose to write. I also think, you know, and this this isn't just journalism. This is like any job that that you go out and do. And um, the thing that I try to remember is like, if I'm doing stories that are assigned to me, or just tasks that are assigned to me, somebody else is saying, "Hey, go write about this." Um, usually whatever I read about is not going to be very good. Like, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to always remember that, like, I went into this job because I want to make a difference. And, and, um, and to not then, you know, even though particularly as a young journalist, you know, for, I'm, I'm 38 now for the first Ten years of my career easy. Every story was assigned to me, and and I hated it. Like I, I was, uh, you know, it felt like I was never getting to do things that I cared about. It felt like um, it was a paycheck and not and not a job that I where, where it felt purposeful and that I I loved. So, I think honestly, not because I uh, had any great foresight in terms of what it would do for my career, but mostly just because. I, I was not going to be a journalist anymore. I was just going to, I was going to quit and do something else. If I thought all I was doing was fulfilling somebody else's idea of what I should write about, I, I decided in addition to doing those stories that I was getting assigned, I was every month, I was like, I'm going to do one story for me, like something that I care about, something that I want to write about, something that I'm curious about. I'm going to go out and I'm going to report and I'm going to satisfy that curiosity and I'm going to write it. And maybe the paper will run it. Maybe they won't. I don't really know. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to go do it. Cause otherwise I'm going to quit and like, uh, you know, apply to law school or something. Um, so, you know, I started doing those stories mostly just to sustain my own desire to do, uh, you know, to do journalism. And and eventually over time, those stories that I was doing based on my own ideas were, were better. Like, and, and the paper could see that they were better. They were, you know, they were. There was much more heart in them than there was in the ones where I was just going out and sort of uh, stenciling in somebody else's, somebody else's like outline of what I should do. So I would say, you know, maybe some of that was um, for a long time, probably because I was young, I didn't feel like I, uh, I had, I didn't feel strong enough. Like I just felt like I should be taking orders rather than taking any kind of control over my work. Um, and so one, one lesson to me that I think is like true for whatever you do is, uh, like, make sure that you're doing the thing that you love about the thing you've decided to do. Otherwise, it's not you know, it's not gonna be very fun and you're not gonna sustain in it. Like you, you have to hold on to like the, um, the thing that, that made it joyful and intriguing and, and exciting for you in the first place and find a way to, to sort of grow that piece of it rather than to let the business of the work kind of shrink that piece of it, if that makes sense.
0: And I think we have time for maybe one last question and that is, what has been your favorite story to write? What has left the most like lasting impact on you?
2: Wow, um, it's so hard for me to choose one story. Uh, I mean, I guess like I, I, I would say again that the, the stories that stick with me personally over years are the ones um, going back to like one of our first questions, the ones that made me Feel a lot that left me kind of reeling, um, and, and one of those for me was definitely going uh, like when when the when there was a shooting in Newtown at the elementary school. I went for the first like three days after it happened and wrote kind of quicker, quicker stories about what had happened in the school. But it never, you know, it, there was a lot happening, and and I was reporting the news, but it didn't feel like I was getting anywhere close to the heart of, of what had happened. Um, so then. About four months, mu- and that was on my list. They're like I, I want to try to get closer to the heart of this. Um, so about four months later, uh, I went back. Um, you know, after during those four months, like these families whose uh, whose who's six and seven year olds had been massacred in this classroom, um, it, they'd worked really hard to have it matter, right? Like they wanted they wanted to believe that it was going to mean something. That they, that they, like you know, how can my six and seven year old have died along with twenty eight other kids <clears throat> in this classroom? And, and for it not to matter. So they, you know, one of the things they tried to do was, uh, was go and, and lobby in Congress um, about, you know, common sense gun reform and things like that. And during these four months, these families that had already been through like, an unimaginable nightmare, had then had gone week after week to the Capitol in DC and handed out pictures of their dead kids and and tried to sort of beseech lawmakers to pay attention. Um, and, and those lawmakers like in the end had not paid attention and it was becoming very clear that like this, you know, uh, just insane mass shooting was not going to mean anything. It was going to be like one more Newtown was going to become one more name on like this ever growing list of of like the one word places: Columbine, Virginia Tech, what, you know that we associate with these mass shootings. Um, so when that became clear, I went and I spent a couple of weeks in Newtown uh, with with the Barden family. Um, they did a lot. They had, they have three kids, and Daniel Barden, their seven year old, was uh, you know had. had been unlucky enough to, to be in the wrong classroom that day and then to try to hide in the wrong closet with his teacher and had been uh, had, had been shot in this classroom um and the freshness of that um grief and that loss and also then just the the anger at the fact that it was that they were realizing they were entering into this like lonely quiet of, of what it would be um that that reporting experience uh, sticks with me and in a way that, that uh you know, it will always kind of inform the way I think about um, gun violence and, and mass shootings and things like that. Wow. Uh, um <laughs> well, not, not enough lifting one, but that is, uh, you know, they're happy impactful. stories too, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, Very um, impactful. yeah, that, that one, and if anybody wants to read that story, it's called Into the Lonely Quiet. It's like, uh, you know, it's, Probably six thousand words, so it's it's less than one tenth as long as the book about Derek. But um, but I think like if you read it, you'll you'll just feel the power of uh, the hopelessness of their situation. And and maybe again in terms of why I do things, I do them because I I hope that that will then be motivating for other for other people. And I do think like that. I still get notes about that story. Um, like all the time about people who uh, who it has like um, activated on, on gun violence issues too so uh, yeah thanks thanks for asking that question I'll, I'll, I'll hope I'll hope to do more legacy building in the years to come
1: absolutely um, unfortunately that is all the time we have we would love to ask more questions but that's all our time um, thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate your time
2: thank you both it's a pleasure thank you